This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com, your source for all things Kratom. So, hey, before we get into the exact title of this paper that we chose for this week's Journal Club, can I tell you what the impetus was for me for finding this paper? Yeah. So, I overheard on some podcast, and it's just, you know, I, I listen to mostly comedy podcasts, but everybody, everybody's, you know, it, mostly goofy podcasts. But anyways, he goes, I read about this new study where they were treating opiate patients and those that got exposure to natural sunlight recovered like 30% faster or better. Um, and so like using the sunlight, I thought there was new research out about using sunlight to help people with opiate use disorder. There is research out there to, um, to demonstrate that with like uh, skylights, like uh, hospitals with skylights, usually the uh, patients report less pain. They, the amount of uh, time they have to spend in the hospital is shortened. So sunlight's good for you. So when I heard this, I was driving. I said, no way, a new paper, sun is good for opiate use disorder. Uh, let me Google this. Let's find this thing. And so we found a very recent paper. It calls uh, a novel treatment of, of opiate cravings with an effect size of 0.73 for unilateral transcranial photobiomodulation <laughs> over sham. And so the photobiomodulation part was the first what I was thinking was going to be the sun. Um, and in yeah. some ways it is, um, but this is a, this is a wild paper about a method that I don't know tons about, but I think I understand. Um, so I guess we dig in from there. Okay. I thought you, you were just using that cause it's it, it, just a mess with me with the title. Cause <laughs> I'm like, I looked at the title and I'm like, there's like four things that I have to look up. In here. <laughs> I'm like, come on, oh, sure. no, no, but uh, it's it's kind of like remind me of uh, I I I I was an English major in in, in college, and reading Shakespeare kind of prepared me for reading science because you can't just read Shakespeare; you need the footnotes. Uh, you you have to take your time, read the line, then go to the footnotes, and and there. you'll get you'll get a better experience, and and right, you'll, right. you'll realize how rich the metaphor is. So reading a scientific papers the same way you can't just read it and be like ah i don't know what that means you got to look everything up so photobiomodulation is a form of light therapy that use utilizes light sources including lasers leds and broadband light for the relief of pain uh but they're not they're doing opioid cravings here that's the american society of laser medicine and surgery but transcranial Transcranial photobiomodulation is a novel form of neuromodulation based on non-retinal exposure to light. But they are doing, yeah, non-retinal specific wavelengths, TPBM, 
is with near-infrared radiation has yielded promising early results for the treatment of neuropsychiatric disorders. Low cost, good safety profile, easy to self-administer. Therefore, it has the potential to become widely accessible. This was a um, a uh, definition from another study. Um, gotcha. I was just looking it up. Um, and so in this study, it is, they're kind of, what are they doing exactly with the light? Uh, they're putting they're putting glasses on and they're blocking out one eye, blocking out the other. You know, I didn't think that that is what they were doing. Uh-oh. I think that that um, that was an example so from the past. The tape, yeah, the tape safety glasses. I think is an example of a test that like sort of supported this guy Schaefer with the dual brain psychology theory. Yeah. So like, there's a. Inserted is just like a theoretical construct of how consciousness and the mind works right in the middle of the scientific paper. Yeah. It was tough to, to untangle. Um, what I had learned about transcranial photobioremediation is essentially that these are like specifically tuned. You can think of them as like a skinny flashlight um, that gets placed over the skull and moved around uh, in certain areas, specifically where problems might be had. Um, it changes, it essentially fakes uh, uh, natural sunlight, so the body kicks up more production, so like more blood flow to the area, expansion and dilation of the blood vessels. And so I think this is just the first time this type of trans, the uh, like light for opiate use disorder has been applied over the skull. Application of light to, so fuel photochemical reactions by the application of light to the patient's skin. Like this low laser light therapy, you know, I think it comes analogous to like uh, beauty shops when you're getting off, uh, like removing warts or stuff. But when you're doing it on your brain, you're doing it much less powerful than that, of course. Okay. About low laser laser therapy. I mean, do they have a helmet on or something? And or... No, they have a picture of it. If you look at the Wikipedia um, article for low le- low level laser therapy, okay, it looks like um, what is like the handle of a lightsaber with this with a bulb on the other end of it that you can just touch to the exterior of the skin, um, and it'll either like destroy tissue that's inflammatory or like cancerous. I don't know if it works for cancer, but I know that it works in like muscle situations, inflammation. Any carpal tunnel syndrome, okay. fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis. Like, so it seems to be by applying certain wavelengths directly to the skin, and now we're talking about into the brain, um, yeah. uh, is, a, is a treatment that generally could be used for uh, chronic pain disorders. Okay, cool, cool. So they're putting it on their head, basically, in, in certain areas of the brain. Well, that yeah, and that's the interesting part, too, because this whole dual brain proposal did you did you follow what they were doing when they were saying if we we want the negative and the positive side yes we're gonna just treat the negative side yeah so this so, is uh dual brain psychology right um right, and and it was right. um proposed by the guy that's frederick schiffer uh he's a he's a harvard uh, medical school and he proposed dual brain psychology which posits that one brain hemisphere tends to be relatively mature and healthy while the other hemisphere may be more affected by past traumas and supports a personality that is more prone to immature and or destructive beliefs and or behaviors schiffer has been concerned not simply with positive or negative emotions but with entire personalities so he's on this study so 
so he basically wrote about himself in the third person there. <laughs> and uh, but but it's pretty interesting. Um, and and he has a um, company called Mind Light LLC um, that is was declared, I guess, in the in his uh, affiliations. Um, mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. they're apparently studying this um, to to offer it as a therapy. It definitely does seem to be working. Like, I mean, if we jump, like, basically, so they're they're getting these patients in that have had their opiate users that will have opiate cravings. They gave them a number of different like tests. One of them is the opiate craving test. The lower you score on that scale, the less you're craving. And the higher your, you score on that scale, the more you're craving. And so they got everybody's baseline numbers of like sort of, you know, where they were before the treatment. Then some people got treatment applied to one side of their, to, uh, it's, it's either left or the right side of their head. On one side of the head, you get the application, but the people who did not get the application of the photobiomediation, what, they still got the same motion. There was just no light used at this time. Uh, yeah. So those are the two experimental groups. Yeah, and and as as far as right and left uh, brain hemispheres, um, they have a little note under the psychology part. Uh, contrary to established models that have generally associated negative emotions with right hemisphere, several findings from WADA studies, meta-analysis of functional imaging studies, and studies of post-stroke patients indicated that negative emotions can be often less hemisphere dominant and and what they're trying to do here is it it kind of says at the end so we have suggested that unilateral treat, treatments to the positive hemisphere might stimulate it and further promote its dominance thereby inducing a state of greater well-being um dual brain psychology therapy focuses on using the healthier hemisphere to assist the trouble side like a parent with love insight and limits our in, innovation is to combine DBP with unilateral TPBM to stimulate the healthy hemisphere with MIR light. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know which side is the healthy and uh, they, they, they talk about it in terms of positive and negative rather than left and right. And I think yeah. it, it suggested that it might be different in different people. I think it is. I think you're right on yeah. that. Like that, everyone. It doesn't necessarily have to be one side or the other. And, one harbors negative emotion, the other one is positive. So you could boost yeah. the positive and try to overcome the negative, um, or against the negative, try to like uh, uh, calm down the negative. Yeah. Um, but the findings in this specific results, so they did the opiate, the, the one that called me is their first test. They did the opiate craving test. Everybody reported much lower craving, cravings for opiates, uh, like immediately after that test. There was a nice reduction there. Uh, even, um, even with the sham. Uh, which Even is with the sham. Pl- pl- yeah, good pl- point. Same thing as placebo, but placebo, I guess, would be applied to medication. Uh, sham is applied to action. So they put, like, foil over the uh, the light, they, and they went yeah. through the motions of doing the therapy, but they didn't actually get any therapy. So there seems to be, like, an immediate placebo effect because everybody said, oh, my cravings are down. But uh-huh. a week later, uh-huh. it was it was different. It was different, yeah. So the a week later, uh, the control group had uh, more craving than the uh, treated group. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that? yeah, that is right. Um, Let me say it again, real quick. That was such a good. You tossed me such a good pass, and I just felt. <laughs> 
35% better. Uh, results immediately after treatment. OCS improved. Opioid craving improved. That means went down significantly for both the sham and active treatments. But one week later, the active treatment showed a 51% decrease in OCS. Uh, yeah, while a week right. after the sham treatments, there was a decrease of only 15.8%. Uh, so there was still a decrease in the placebos, but it, by less. So it works about 35% better than the placebo, which is showing that there might be something to it. One, one week later, active treatment showed a 51% decrease in OCS. So uh, on the opiate craving scale, theirs continue to go down, which is good. Less cravings, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and then decreases in the people that had it. And well, a week after the sham, there were decreases of only like 16% yeah. uh, in the sham groups. So it seems to have lasting effects um, that, yeah. The, yeah, it seems as a lasting effects a week later. Yeah. Sorry if I botched that up. Well, no, so I just did 51 minus 16 is 35, so 35%. It works 35% more. Uh, the treatment works 35% better than the sham. This is very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I, having not really known very much about this a technique, um, I know they do deep brain simulation where they're using like magnetic waves on the outside of the brain to simulate uh, specific nerve group in Parkinson's. Um, and I know bio like biomodulator research is also being done where you screw a hole, like a hole uh, in a mouse or an animal models the top of their head. And then mm. you can use different lights, different lasers to sort of see how they react and like essentially make them turn left, make them turn right. All of that is like photo oncogenics and and the use of light in uh, in scientific research. This one, it almost seems kind of like you know a harker back to the days of like the apothecary. They're like, well, you know, we'll give you sixteen leeches and then we'll run this bright light over you. You'll be good in no time. Um, But 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 apparently it's a it's a good potential there. There is definitely a strong so with the effect size of point seven three. There's definitely a strong uh, a relationship between the photobiomediation and the extended uh, reduction of opiate cravings uh, based on their stats, which they also got into like very thoroughly. And I appreciated that most most p- uh, papers don't put effect size and this much like openness in what their statistical analysis was, but it's where mm-hmm. it ne- needs to be. It's written very well. And the way they get in it a little bit to how it actually works with the with the cells, uh, um, like the physical functioning of it, uh, um, the reviews describe in detail how NRI, NIR light is absorbed by cytochrome C oxidase, which stimulates ATP formation in the mitochondria. So that um, begs for some definitions. Mitochondria are membrane-bound cell organelles that generate most of the chemical energy needed to power the cell's biochemical reactions. Chemical energy produced by the mitochondria is stored in a small molecule called uh, adenosine triphosphate, ATP. That's from genome.gov. And um, and it says uh, TPBM, which is the trans photo the process <laughs> right, <laughs> also right, increases right. neurotropic factors in the brain increases blood flow and decreases inflammation so that's 
that's um, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, neurotropic is nervous tissue generation. Yeah, neurotropic. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. tropic. Okay. So yeah, I mean, so um, they have good. They have had some really good. It seems like success with this. It's weird that it's not more widely known. Maybe maybe it's just coming to us. You know, in the kratom world though, maybe there's a bunch of people out there doing this. Yeah, and it also <laughs> tested for depression and anxiety, uh, HDRS, the depression scale, and the HARS anxiety scale. Um, and these subjects had improved from a baseline of 15.1 to 8.8. Um, improvement means that that's because they're reporting less depression, so that's improvement even though the number mm-hmm. goes down. Uh HARS anxiety scale improved from 14.7 to 8 after the active treatments and um, 14.3 after sham um, active treatment of the positive hemisphere after the negative hemisphere significantly improved opioid craving uh, syndrome but there was no significant opioid craving scale I'm sorry but there was no significant difference after sham treatment so they they tested uh, anxiety depression seemed to improve as well right yeah 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 um basically a week later the shams were where they were back to their baseline um this is using the anxiety rating scale uh hamilton's um but the ones that had the active transcranial bio you know stimulation um are are still like about half of where they were in the baseline so half less anxiety yeah, yeah. And the only, the thing I was thinking about was there this is just for cravings and anxiety, depression, but it's not pain treatment. And when I read that definition it said they use it in pain treatment and a lot of the um a lot of the people who are advocating for chronic pain patients to get opioids now that there's like a mass uh, there's been a mass um, like cutoff uh, as a response to CDC guidelines and the opioid uh, crisis. Right. Uh, right. They're they're always they're talking about like oh they're using light and because some of the the people uh, prop uh, ph- physicians for responsible opioid prescribing which are who are in favor of like completely shutting down almost completely shutting down opioid pers- or like mm-hmm. yeah we have these light treatments which to them sounds like a lot a whole lot of bullshit but but for cravings i think it would be you know it's interesting yeah i think that this is definitely um from the treatment of a from the focus of a treatment like helping someone come through withdrawal um, yeah you know it's not necessarily targeted at that changing the behavioral aspects of it yeah. Um, speaking of uh, groups that are uh, advocacy groups for for opiate users um, or o- people with opiate use disorder, I recently uh, started working with a group called the Fentanyl Project. Hmm. Um, our Instagram is at the Fentanyl Project. I know Fentanyl is a hard word to, to see you say and spell. Um, so I got approached by a group of buddies that I uh, went to undergrad with. Yeah. They're looking to get support and resources out to people, uh, you know, that could use who could use a, uh, a reassurance because of how crazy things have gotten out there because uh, prescriptions have been cut off and uh, they're buying it off the streets and it's yeah. just laced with with fentanyl. The, uh, the cool part of the plan is 
the, and what was different about these guys that wanted me to get involved is they were essentially like, we're going to go to where the people are. So they're going to be going out to concert venues and bars and restaurants um, to try to actually sit down and talk to the people who need it. Not really trying to, you know, we're not daring them. We're just talking about harm reduction and, and we know you don't want to die. So um, education and, and a community is what we're building. And we hope to uh, push that a little bit further um, once things get going. It's very new, very brand new. Yeah, well, this is probably impossible, but did, would you think about, you know, t- talking to them about Kratom? I don't know if it would even be uh, good to, like, hand Kratom out, because that might affect uh, any potential funding you might get, but... Uh, um, yeah. I, so I think the, the the group that we're talking about, I think, is already pretty familiar with what Kratom is, maybe. I mean, okay. people, you know, that were previous opiate addicts know... The, ho- the point here is that, like, we recognize that drug use isn't going to stop until the individual user wants to stop. Yeah. And if you're going to use, at least be informed about what you're consuming um, or, you know, uh, do it safely. And so with a t- you know, tiny grain of rice, there's just there's just fentanyl being in all these press pills out there buying anything out of the streets. It's almost like a thousand percent chance that it's mixed with something, yeah. maybe fentanyl. And the tiniest little amount can send someone into an OD. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, uh, yeah, we want to be, we want them to be able to inform themselves before consuming something that could be potentially uh, very dangerous. That's great. That's great. And and like, I guess you could like, uh, you know, hand out uh, pamphlets or information about what exactly, because those little green uh, pressed pills. Uh, you know what they look like and there's something i follow on twitter i forget what the account is but it's like they take uh drugs that that were on the street they test them and they say this was being sold as xanax but here's what's in it uh-huh. fentanyl blah, uh-huh. blah 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 this this uh and it's pretty cool the fentanyl, fentanyl yeah fentanyl project f-e-n-t-a-n-y-l <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's at the fentanyl project on Instagram. At the, the does in front of it. Oh, okay. Speaking Don't of that, down the line, you know, last time we spoke, we talked about maybe potentially getting together. I'm wondering, we're trying to, we're just trying to find like networks and hubs. I'm wondering like if something like this in Pittsburgh would be something that may be useful, but uh, just, just a random cross to my head, but maybe we'll come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mean the fentanyl project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I, I think t- um, on the ground. Yeah, the, and 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 probably the best people maybe to reach out to about it is uh, uh, Prevention Point Pittsburgh. Like they might mm-hmm. even you know hand out you know some of your stuff or literature or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they they're basically the needle they started out as a needle exchange in the 90s and mm-hmm. and i think now they oh, wow, give in the 90s yeah yeah it was like two people giving out needles in a van um and and now it's like uh you know they have funding and they um uh this guy never this guy mike brown i had a couple of episodes ago he 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 has this hotline called never use alone and he works with them in pittsburgh he's originally from here but he's been in tennessee for the past 30 years but he uh-huh. he works with them he's like yeah they they have our number up in their uh centers and stuff 
So I think they would be Dude, a good, you know, they would definitely be a good one to work with. I know, you know, sometimes you see at festivals, there's like safe zones, naps usually sponsors, like if people need to just come in and relax. Yeah. But just along the lines you were saying with being able to reach somebody, there's a lot of like trip sit, uh, sit apps now where you just download the app and you can call somebody in 24 seven, someone's going to pick up and you'll have access to someone to talk to. Yeah. So yeah. It's that's wild. Cool. Even from the study, there's just uh, this funny thing I found was uh, of the five patients who dropped out, four gave reasons that we felt and the patient reported were unrelated to the study. For example, one patient reported that he dropped out because he had to get the hell out of town. <laughs> this is in the study. And and I was just thinking about how that's an effect of, you know, drug criminalization on research because we were just talking about how criminalization affects well i mean mm-hmm. prohibition affects you know the content of the drugs itself but here's another example of how i mean i don't know why the guy had to get out of town but i assume they're they're using a, a, you know 22 uh, uh people who use opioids and it, it might have been related to that <laughs> yeah 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 they lose people i thought their end was all right yeah. um but yeah it's uh I've actually been seeing ads in um, uh, like lo- like the college local magazines around here, like the campus news, where they're looking for people who to take part in a clinical trial like this, where you go there like once a week. Um, I don't know if it's actual um, this the TBS or um, something else. If it's a new pharmaceutical or you know what some along those lines, but um, this is definitely an active area of research. I think. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to mention, too, he had a past um, successful study. Uh, his first study of TBPM was a bilateral pilot study of 10 patients with a history of trauma, anxiety, and depression, seven of whom have a past history of substance abuse. All had been in remission for at least four years, and none ha- had active cravings. So that's that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good results. Not bad. Well done. I just Not don't. I just don't want them to, you know, use this to justify. Um, I mean, it wouldn't justify not using opioids in pain treatment because I, I just think this is like an after the fact after you've been uh, dependent or addicted to opioids. But um, yeah, I agree with you on that. Like, yeah. but if you actually have. Um, like a serious injury that requires them. They're talking about post that, like trying to, once you're on the exit ramp, then I I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so any updates with the, uh, cannabis museum? Um, you know, I have, we were supposed to have a, uh, board of directors meeting on St. Patrick's day and that never happened. Um, what was the last update? I mean, they're they're moving into their new building. That still happened. Um, if you're still did did you were you thinking about coming out here yeah yeah uh um, once once you're open oh right yeah so, so you said you said your tri- you said it'll be past 420 last time you, you don't think you'll hit 4, yeah 420 date yeah so I'll, I'll probably know more next uh next meeting because we're still got we're still about a month off but as far as i can see when i drive by they're they're moving and, and shaking over there cool cool yeah, I had I was just in New Orleans last week and I wish I would have went to it but we never got around to it. The uh they had a um pharmacy museum 
uh-huh. which was an old pharmacy. It was actually the first. I we were on a tour. We were on a ghost tour, but uh, oh, I've done it. I've done it. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. the host was really cool. Um, but we passed the pharmacy museum, and and she said, you know, it was the first pharmacy pharmaceutical license licensed to run a pharmacy in the United States and now it's just a museum which I wish I would have toured because it was only 10 bucks it was two floors Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see like heroin cocaine and medicine bottles you know I'm sure the actual substance is long gone but well you know (laughs) and I think they probably would have had a lot of uh, good apothecary bottles I've heard good things about that museum but uh, the one at the Cannabis Museum, that's the real deal one in terms of controlled substances. So we're really stoked on, yeah, opening that up and getting that out there. It's, yeah. it's so fascinating to see, dude. You're going to nerd out so hard. I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah, the pictures are cool looking, like with the, uh, yeah, with the medical, little medical, little glass bottles with a cork in it and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, uh mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. John Cachet. Check him out at Jay Cachet on social media. The Fentanyl Project is on Instagram at The Fentanyl Project. And check out CannabisMuseum.com. The music is Captain Big Wheel. The song is Moonrunner. So far, we don't advertise. We don't ask for donations. But we do ask for your support. Please share this on your social media. And like, subscribe, rate, review, comment wherever you listen to this podcast. Kratom Science Journal Club is produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.